And there's this line that she has that has the music. I don't know if that is that is that it? Is that the music? Yeah, that would be the music. But I don't know if she calls back in. If it will like, I mean, we can unmute this and see. hold music hello and welcome to z prime on the grid a show about issues concerning the energy industry i'm your host dylan lockwood joining me as always is head of research and content christine richards how are you today christine i'm doing well dylan how are you I'm doing quite well. We're also joined by Aaron Hardick, research analyst. How are you today? I'm doing well, Dylan. It's a Friday afternoon, and we're recording the podcast, which we normally, we've been doing on Friday mornings. Um, So I'm excited to do this on the afternoon to lead us into the weekend. Yeah, we're recording on Friday the 13th, Jason Strikes Manhattan, or is it Takes Manhattan? It's been a (laughs) while. Well, for someone for whom it is not the afternoon, we've got... Is it just commissioner? Uh, What's your, is there, is there a more fancy title I should use or just? No, no, I'm just commissioner Lorraine Akiba and aloha and thank you. And yes, it is the morning here. It is only, you know, like 1020. So I appreciate the, you know, the fact that with the six hour time difference for those on the East Coast, um, the end of your day, but the good news is after this, you you can go on to the, enjoy the beginning of your weekend. So Lorraine, you work uh, for the Public Utility Commission in Hawaii. You're one of three commissioners. How long have you been working there? I was appointed in um, actually in March of 2012 and began my term in July of 2012. So I've been here almost six years, going on to my you know my sixth year. My term officially ends June 30, 2018. But you know it, we don't have term limits, so it's really up to the governor whether you know he wants to extend my term or not. But uh, yeah, trying to do as much as I can as a commissioner and. We are appointed by the governor, and then we are subject to advice and consent of the state senate. So uh, that is the process for commissioners in our state to become uh, officially uh, part of the Public Utilities Commission. So what do you see as the role of the Public Utility Commission in 2017 and beyond? Well, you know, basically, of course, we have statutory responsibilities. Um, you know, we are an administrative law agency. We do our regulatory functions. But on the policymaking side, it's really very important, uh, given the dynamic and um, uh, changing environment of, of energy sectors and all the other sectors that we do regulate, because we also regulate uh, private water and wastewater, uh, some telecom, uh, some uh, motor carriers, um, and water transportation. So in our state, we have... Uh, a variety of things, but with respect to the electricity sector, it is a very dynamic um, and exciting time. And part of our role as policymakers, because we do have certain policy functions and investigatory functions, is really to help chart the, the course forward um, and to help our utilities transform to become utilities of the future as Hawaii uh, moves forward to achieve our. Uh, I think what we um, are best known for is our 100% renewable portfolio standard by 2045. And I'm proud that, that Hawaii has been leading in terms of, uh, of that commitment. And I know that there are other states that have um, pledged to, uh, to uh, very aggressive uh, renewable portfolio standards and clean energy goals. And 
but we are leading, I think, with 100% by 2045, and that's very aggressive. I believe our utilities, our electric utilities, have to be 30% by 2020, and that's just a few years off. So they're well on their way. Many of the utilities are at 26 and 28% uh, this year. So it's charting the course. It's facilitating um, the changes. It is making sure that we are, uh, you know, setting the right direction, providing strategic guidance, and, and facilitating also uh, industry in the market and industry stakeholder input uh, to make sure it's a collaborative process as we move forward and, and make uh, new policy and, and set new uh, new direction. Lorraine, you sound like a busy woman because Christina and I talk about trying to get more involved in like the water sector because we you know primarily focus on electric utilities and the work we do at Z Prime. But you really like dip your toes in a lot of different areas. How do you like? balance all of that? How do you stay up to date, especially given all of the change going on in the utility um, market in general? Like, how do you stay on top of your game? You know, I think it's really, you really do, I don't know whether, you know, it's the overachiever, you know, from, uh, you know, from when my mom probably dropped me on my head as a child. But, you know, I've had some, some good role models of, you know, of professional people that you basically have to make the time commitment to to educate yourself, to stay in tune with, of course, going to conferences like ETS and being with other thought leaders, keeping informed when things come to, uh, you know, in terms of now we, we, have, we have Internet. This is the Internet of things. We have the Internet of information. So it really is constantly um, continuous improvement, keeping um, informed personally to to what we get to, the you know, to um, electronic updates and, and then also just it, being networked with people that are leading so that they can share their best practices and information. And really, uh, you know, NARUC is a, is a good uh, place for that, the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners. So it is a personal effort, but I think that's important, especially in a, in a small state like ours where we have a lot going on but uh, and a small PUC, so I don't have, it's not like some of the other larger public utilities commissions where you have, you know, a staff of, of 100 uh, in fact, you know, CPUC has 900 staff, and, and Pennsylvania PUC has uh, several hundred staff. But we don't have that in Hawaii. We've got like 35 professional staff that work really hard. So it's really being a working commissioner and taking that role seriously, um, and that, that personal responsibility. But I just find it exciting, and I and I have always, uh, you know, based on my background, I was a you know complex commercial litigation uh, lawyer. Uh, you know, practicing in the environmental and natural resources area, and that's how I came into this position as a commissioner with my background. But in that area, I always had to educate myself real quick, you know, be be able to understand um, uh, other professionals in, in, in the industry and, and get the download real quick. So I'm used to that, and it, it's actually, while it's challenging, it's also interesting, and it keeps your mind alert and definitely um, it, it's an exciting time, so I find it personally rewarding. It's really interesting, Lorraine, just hearing about um, all the work that you're diving into and all the change that's happening in, in Hawaii. I mean, for your role as a regulator going on, on six years now, how has that really evolved since you first started working as a regulator? How has the role changed and, and how do you see it evolving in, in the future? I think the role has changed because when I first came on board, we really, we really were more like economic regulators, and we had, you have rate cases, and yeah, it was a, there were a few investigatory dockets. So it was more the, the standard fare of what we do. But I think just given the rapid technology developments and so much happening 
at the grid edge. The And then the integration, there's the interconnection, which when we talk about the integrated grid of the future, it's really more the integrated network of the future, the energy network, because now the electricity sector combines with, you know, gas, transportation because of, uh, you know, both electrification of transportation and just automation of uh, vehicles, just other cutting-edge, uh, you know, developments. Water, the energy water nexus because of climate change issues and impacts on water resources, um, as, as well as um, uh, in the uh, telecommunications area, just, you know, everything opening up because of technology and uh, big data analytics capabilities through, through a lot of the, the 5G and, and wireless and all the technology advances. So, so much is being integrated. I just feel that there's much more integration between the different areas that we regulate and then much more um, really charting the course, a more strategic policy investigations. And, and basically, the, the state legislature has given us a lot of, of that responsibility. I mean, we're, we're doing things pursuant to what the legislature has asked us to do statutorily, but uh, yeah, that I think has, has changed uh, in, in the course of the, the years that I've been on the commission. Yeah, I would like to dive a little bit deeper into that in regards to what that kind of regulatory framework looks like. Just for a bit of context, earlier this year, we, we put out a report where we surveyed uh, 76 U.S. regulatory staffing commissioners for their perspective on, on cloud technologies specifically, but this can you know apply to things like IoT and, you know, real in data analytic, real-time data analytics and that sort of thing. But, you know, in this survey, we found that nearly 80% of regulators think that they should play at least some role in determining whether utilities uh, use the cloud. So what I want to know is how specifically can we, can we lay down the law that doesn't inhibit growth, but also protects consumers? Right. And I think that's really important. I think, you know, the, the, the traditional metrics for what um, regulators look at. I mean, is it in the public interest? Is it used and useful? You know, is it cost effective? Those, you know, those are those basic metrics and um, performance metrics or evaluation metrics still hold true whether it's software technology or open cloud platform. It's just that some regulators have to, you know, change the mindset. It's not just a a widget. It's not just a a transformer, you know, a hard piece of infrastructure. The new assets of, of the future are going to be technology assets that are uh, software, uh, you know, things that conceptual things that we would never have even imagined. You know, artificial intelligence, machine to machine learning assets that help uh, give operators real time uh, look into the grid or work with customers because of the smart home devices that, and you know AMI technology that allows. communication between customers and and the central operation of the grid, and it's much more distributed energy resources now, whether that's energy efficiency, demand response, energy storage, electric vehicles that all help to support the grid and help to um, uh, manage energy services for the customer. So really, it is the regulator realizing that the the toolkit has evolved. and, you know, I'm sure the toolkit from the 1950s is different than the toolkit of today, but that toolkit will continue to change as we go into the next millennium, you know. So it is really making sure that um, that there can be uh, enough certainty and what we allow cost recovery for so the, the utilities can be incented to invest in, their, in the right areas and not, um, not disincented from that. And also taking a look at the regulatory process. We are trying to institute more performance incentive mechanisms in, in our jurisdiction because we think outcomes are more important. 
in a, you know, rewarding and incentivizing cost-effective behavior, just like you would in a fully competitive uh, regulatory market, you know, a re- I mean, a fully competitive uh, capitalist market, right? Still, I mean, we should try to make sure that we allow enough opportunities and yet enough um, incentives so that it's cost-effective. So you're talking about how things can be different between different jurisdictions. So uh, I guess I've got a two-part question. One, what makes Hawaii unique as an energy market? I mean, I understand you probably don't have long cables going the length of the Pacific Ocean, so you've probably got some, you've probably got very localized sources of power generation and distribution. How can the successes of the Hawaii grid be applied or used as a model for for energy markets, for larger okay. energy markets in the mainland? Okay. Like, even though we're, we're a six separate island grid, a grid is a grid. So if we're able to demonstrate, and in fact, we have the ability and the flexibility to demonstrate, and that's why we are the living laboratory for what can be done uh, on a larger scale and what actually is being done in California and other jurisdictions, we go first because, you know, we're way further ahead of people in terms of distributed generation, the need for storage, and, and our tariff structure. So we are, are, are really at the vanguard. But the electric grid is the electric grid. We don't have an energy imbalance market, so we have to deal with balancing that energy ecosystem, getting the tariffs right for each island grid. That's the same lesson that can be, can be transferred. That knowledge and that, that best practice can be transferred to a larger market. Um, and, and what we do te- technically and what we find technology-wise in terms of how much you can put on a, on a circuit, the, the technical part can also be transferred. And in fact, it's easier to demonstrate test things on a small island grid than it would be in a larger transmission uh, uh, district. So we can, but it's still the same, uh, you know, electrons are electrons. The, the system has to balance at the end of the day. You have to manage load. You have to, uh, you know, make sure demand and load are balanced. The technology is the same. So I think what's the beautiful part is that our lessons are directly transferable. The technology can transfer. The knowledge and the best practices can transfer. And what's good about the fact that we are not subject to all this other jurisdiction is um, we can make decisions as the PUC being all of those entities. We are the FERC. We are the NERC. We are, you know, we have we have the authority of the Hawaii Electric Reliability Authority, which is like a uh, you know an RTO ISO type structure. It hasn't been set up fully, but that authority is placed under the PUC. Um, we oversee the energy efficiency program through a third party administrator uh, that um, exists by statute. So. We have authority over a lot of the moving pieces so we can make decisions that then integrate the solutions. And I think that's the advantage we have and that's what makes us different. But what we're um, implementing and what we're testing out is directly transferable. And these best practices and success stories can be lessons um, that can be implemented in other markets and other jurisdictions. You once told me that Hawaii was a perfect example for the necessity of microgrids. What did you mean by that? Yes, I think because we just saw an example of where this really can make a critical difference, Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, of course, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people in Puerto Rico, but we have to help them get their grid up. But had there been microgrids in Puerto Rico, there could have been islands with, uh, you know, islanding off of, of power sectors that could have remained um, for critical essential functions and services. And so very early on in our, again, to go back to the inclinations in 2014, we talked about what we call integrated energy districts, which is our term for microgrids, uh, so that we could have 
microgrids in certain designated areas, whether that's around a school, a university campus, a hospital, uh, you know, an essential service facility, wastewater treatment plant, so that you keep essential services going or have somewhere where in case of a, uh, a natural disaster or, in our case, a geopolitical event, because we're a very strategic military and defense center for the entire United States, and people don't know that, microgrids help to provide reliability and resiliency backup. And what happens is when you do have a situation where the entire grid may go down, you have microgrids that can island off before that happens and still stay um, powered, then you can uh, begin to more slowly allow your time to bring the entire grid back up, but then you have these pockets of, of essential services and, and power. And especially with a lot of the distributed generation that we do have, being able to use the functionality and the smart inverters that have reactive power, being able to use customer-sided energy storage to be able to keep power in certain areas as you bring up the entire grid or you begin to address areas of damage and uh, repair and mitigation on the island. Uh, we are so far away from um, any assistance. It's not like being in the continental U.S. on the mainland where, you know, it's a, a truck roll away and people can, uh, you know, launch into Texas or launch into Florida and, and try to provide uh, immediate help from, from neighboring states. We are several thousands of miles away from the nearest help. And even if you were to deploy military transport, planes, uh, you know, uh, ships to bring equipment to Hawaii, it's, it's a long way and it'd be a while. And just like what Puerto Rico is experiencing, in fact, Puerto Rico is closer to, to the mainland than, than Hawaii. For resiliency, reliability purposes, energy security purposes, microgrids are very important. We call them integrated energy districts because when things are normal and everything's functioning, they stay connected to the grid. And But in times of, of natural disaster or, or crisis, they can island off as need be to provide reliable power where needed and to help to provide essential services to, to keep our uh, you know, communities um, functioning. I, I just wanted to add a, a couple things around around microgrids that, that we've been seeing. Uh, it was really interesting. I was on a phone call yesterday um, with with a university professor and, and researcher, and, and we were talking a little bit about microgrids and, and distributed energy resources and, you know, just some of the changing attitudes um, around those those technologies for for utilities where for a long time, um, utilities, you know, viewed those technologies as something that's a, you know a threat for their organization, a threat to their their business model, um, and it's been really interesting to see that mindset start to shift, uh, to see that microgrids are are really part of essentially this whole energy ecosystem that we're building, and and it's really important you know to have utilities play a role in that, um, to have commercial and industrial customers play a role in it, and you know that there are. Um, a lot of different benefits that, that can come out of, of microgrids, particularly around um, the resiliency piece, but but also just being able to better connect our grids and, and, and get better participation um, from third-party energy providers. And I know, Aaron, Aaron Hardick, you're working on our research project here with, with Lockheed Martin. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and some of the things that, that are starting to come out of that research? Yeah. One thing I didn't, I didn't want to say, Christine, you were talking about, you know, witnessing that change in mindset. I think when I started at Z prime, um, when I was transitioning in, into, when I was transitioning from being an intern into a full-time employee, one of the first 
projects I was working on was around DERs. And Christine, I think you had explained what they were to me. And as an energy newbie, I was like, well, I don't get why the utilities don't want clean energy. You know, I didn't understand the the complexity um, behind DERs. And since that study, yeah, we really have seen this change in mindset. And it's really cool to look back on um you know starting with DERs seeing this one mindset and now like you said I'm we're working on this Lockheed Martin paper over the distributed grid um and just really trying to figure out how utilities and you know like their CNI customers what roles they play in the distributed grid how those roles work together the study is really interesting because I think It'll bring to light um, that maybe there are more parallels or people um, maybe on maybe under the same mindset. We just aren't communicating it well. Um, but the results are really interesting. Just really seeing that people are viewing um, DERs as very important to their business, especially, you know, moving forward. How do we leverage the distributed get? How do we leverage DERs? People are saying, you know, this is really important to us and it's something that's on our mind for sure. And I think it's interesting how you bring up the point around that that relationship and, you know, utilities and, and commercial and industrial customers and, you know, how do they relate to one another? How do, how do they start to work together? I mean, Lorraine, what do you see in terms of, of the regulator's role around that? I mean, how are regulators involved in, in really shaping those relationships and, and are they involved at this point? Yeah, I think what regulators can do is, you know, for one thing, get out of the way if industry and, and, and you know, community stakeholders want to dialogue. And, in fact, we encourage in Hawaii the, the you know, technical working groups, collaborative stakeholder discussion groups, even in, in the investigatory dockets that we oversee and facilitate. But it's important to, to have dialogue, to get input from everybody that's going to be infect, affected, and then also to get customer input because by, by doing that you get – customer buy-in and they're part of the process. So I think that is really important. And I think what we need to do also is as regulators see that the role of utilities are changing. They are not just providing, and and the progressive ones especially, see this. They're not just selling a a widget of a kilowatt hour to a customer. And it's not just, you know, we're going to send you the power and that's it, you know, you pay your bill. It's more of a uh, being an energy um, management services consultant to the customer, because the customer, especially with distributed energy resources, has choices. And if the if the utility doesn't meet the needs of the customer, they may go elsewhere or you know try to uh, meet these needs on their own. So the role of the utilities in the future is to become the trusted advisor and consultant for energy services management for the customer, especially for large and commercial customers as well. So I think progressive utilities see their role, and they can also be like the integrator of all these different sectors. So they become the conductor of a very complex symphony that uses the grid, and that's what I talked about before was the integrated energy network of the future and the intersect between electric, gas, uh, transportation, water, uh, telecom, uh, in terms of, of the future uh, sustainable smart city of the future, right? Or the smart communities of the future. So there is a key role for utilities to play in that vision. Yeah, Lorraine, going back to the Lockheed study that we're working on, we actually asked a specific question in the survey to both utilities and our CNI customers. That was what role should, or how much of a role should um, utilities and energy providers play in assisting 
uh, businesses with the distributed grid or, or something um, along those lines. And pretty much everyone said some role should be played. Like there, I don't think there was anybody who said no, no role at all. So the CNI customers are definitely saying, yeah, the utilities and energy providers should be helping us with this. You know, we're, we don't really know exactly what we're doing and, and we want some help. And, and we think the utilities and retail energy providers are, are the people to do it. Yep. And I always saw the analogy of IBM. Do you remember when IBM used to, you know, the, all their back in the day, they made large computers, mainframe computers, or they made, uh, you know, office equipment, um, uh, you know, whether it's typewriters or big, you know, uh, pieces of, of office equipment. So they were into the kind of the hardware aspect of the of the uh, of the business, and then they got disrupted by all the changes in in telecom and and all the changes in in um, technology. Uh, so for you know software and, and applications and the Googles and the Oracles of the world, and so they changed their business model to become more business management services consultants, so that people, uh, large customers or just even individual customers who needed um, some technical expertise to help to uh, to make choices for some of these other new services that were out there, they then became uh, management consultants of of information technology to help people with business management solutions consulting and facilitating. And that's a whole new role for them, and that then they became a much more successful, um, dynamic business, and and are, are continuing to be successful today as they get into more data analytics. And we see them, I mean, leading again on machine to machine learning, uh, you know, Watson and and a software development. So it just goes to show you how an industry sector and a and a, a company in in an industry sector needs to evolve. And so I always use that example. When I cite to utilities having to do this, electric utilities having to do the same things because third parties will come to their customers, and if the utilities do not stay relevant and continue to meet customers' needs, they will become irrelevant, and that's the disruption part. But there's no reason why they can't continue to play a key role and either partner with third parties or, um, you know, actually provide some of these services direct to the customers if, if they can do so uh, within their jurisdiction. I mean, it seems like there's definitely a complexity in, in utilities relationships with with customers where, you know, I mean, in most cases, they're, they're the default provider. Um, you don't necessarily have a choice of whether, you know, you want, want to work with them and, or not unless you're, you're willing to go entirely off the grid. But you do have that relationship with your utility around energy. And, and I think it's interesting, um, Aaron, how you bring up the fact that uh, as commercial and industrial customers are, are looking at distributed energy resources, you know they see their utility as, as, as having that expertise around energy and and wanting to be able to work with them. Um, and utilities are, are, are bound by all these um, different regulatory requirements and, and and things that they have to deal with, you know, as they're as they're serving their customers. And so it really kind of creates, I guess, this kind of interesting stew of of, of factors. Um, in terms of, of how utilities, you know, what their role is going forward and how that evolves, because they have to deal with so many different um, factors, you know, as they look to, to the relationships with their customers and how it evolves. I can't imagine utility stew tastes very good. <laughs> yeah, what would it that recipe evolve? be? It would probably be one part, something, another be something spicy, I'm imagining something green, and you slow cook it for about five years. Maybe more like 20 or 30 years. 20 or 30. <laughs> Speaking of 20 or 30 years, Lorraine, um, 
my goal on the podcast now weekly is to make Christine feel old because that's what I like to do. Um, or just get her gen- genuinely worked up for any reason. Um, so I shared a small anecdote about when I first started in the energy industry and the changing mindset about utilities and DER. So Christine, maybe you could tell us about a change, an, a big change you've seen in the industry since when you first started, which which was <laughs> when? LED lights. <laughs> it, the question wasn't to you, Dylan. Is that the oh. biggest change you've seen? LED no, lights. I was. <laughs> no, I was. Uh, you know what? Never mind. Yeah. So to to address Aaron's question, I mean, I've I've been in the the industry a little a little over a decade, and compared to a lot of people in the industry, um, I don't think you were at that conference, Aaron. But uh, I was at the the Municipal Smart Grid Summit uh, in Florida earlier this summer. And I had people Me in too. the conference. Yeah, Dylan, you were there. Yes. And I had people line up um, by the years that they had been in the industry. Uh, and there were a few people who were there for a couple years, a lot of people who were there for, you know, 20 years. And there there was one gentleman who had been in the industry for 55 years. Um, so <laughs> being in the in the industry for, for a decade doesn't doesn't feel so feel so bad. But really, the biggest change I've seen is, you know, when I when I joined the industry, the smart grid was really starting to come alive, and and people are really talking about it in terms of, um, you know, AMI meters and 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 what meters can do, uh, and really the meters were focused around, you know, more accurate customer billing, um, the ability to do remote connect and disconnect, and you know, those are some of the key benefits that that people saw. And it's, it's pretty cool to see the industry, you know, go from, okay, you know, we can do better billing. Um, we don't have to do as many truck rolls to now we're having these very fundamental questions of, you know, what is, what does a utility mean? Um, you know, how do we start to build, you know, these distributed energy resources and integrate them into our grid? So, um, the, the questions just keep, keep unfolding and unfolding and, you know, we keep moving further and further. Um, into what this, what these technologies can really do, and how they can transform our industry, which, which has just been been fascinating. Yeah, I think the biggest game changer for for that I've seen, energy storage, that is the game changer. And as the prices come down, you know, um, you know, CPC led on that in terms of their, their state legislature requiring certain amounts of, of energy storage, and they they began to drive the market. And now energy storage prices are just in, incredibly. Uh, you know, coming down, with, whether it's battery storage or other types of uh, less, you know, it could be low, lower tech, whether it's grid interactive water heating, thermal storage uh, type systems, or pump hydro, uh, it, it, uh, their energy storage is the game changer. And I think that dovetails with the grid modernization, that with the, with the advanced usage of data analytics for energy management services and operations of the grid, those are the two the two game changers because there's power control systems now in, in 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 battery storage. There's power control systems in smart inverters in, in in solar panels, PV panels. So a lot of that technology can be harnessed to really help um, transform the energy industry and also uh, assist um, uh, both customers and the utilities in, in in operations of the grid and supporting the grid. 
I was just going to say, definitely add energy storage to the to the utility stew. Data analytics tools, right? We got we got a little spice of data analytics tools, big data. You got a little. We got to put a little bit of big data in there. Oh yeah. yeah. So so what I mean, would utilities be the meat of the stew? That how that works? And then we have. I thought the, the utility was the chef making the yeah, stew. Yeah, I thought the utility was the chef. Yeah. Oh okay. Mm. That makes more mm. sense. Okay, we're in the digital economy now, right? So a lot of digitalization and you know, interoperable software platforms and good control technology. You know, with these futurists, when you go to these conferences, and some of them have been at ETS conferences, they talk about we're moving from the digital economy to the virtual economy with, um, you know, development and usage of artificial intelligence, machine-to-machine learning, sensors, right? We already see that, right, drones? I mean, in the last hurricane outages, a lot of repair was being able to do with drones where we couldn't send people in. The drones can go in and target uh, areas for reliability, or when you're maintaining predictive analytics, you know, you're going in to see a place that but is sending you a signal that it might go out. You send a drone in as opposed to sending people in in remote areas or where there's transmission lines, et cetera, or, or some people said they're using drones now to, to check maintenance on wind turbines because you, you, instead of sending uh, humans up into a, into a tower of this, uh, for a, a giant wind turbine, you can send a drone up there to check on, on the integrity of the structure. So you're seeing this already with sensor technology and machine-to-machine learning tools, but we're going to really go into the next phase. So I don't know what that would be. You know, would that be, you know, a further refinement of the recipe, or would that change? Would the would the stew be ready quicker than we thought it would be? How dare you bring well-reasoned thoughts into our tortured analogy? <laughs> we haven't even talked about blockchain technology yet and transactive energy, and that I... I mean, I don't profess to be an expert or even understand. I'm just starting to learn about that. You, you, you asked me that's earlier. Probably, you know, that's probably that's probably a podcast topic, uh, an upcoming one. Yeah, get somebody to talk about blockchain so I can I can listen in and and learn more. Yes, I'll bring my friend Ben, who's just really obsessed with cryptocurrencies, and he'll <laughs> he'll tell he'll he'll go all Jim Cramer on you and tell you to buy buy buy. <laughs> Talking about utility stew is making me imagine Carl Popham with like a chef's outfit on and a big tall chef's hat <laughs> and like a big cast iron stew pot. We've had Carl on the podcast before. Hi, Carl. I hope you're listening. Um, he's the director of <clears throat> emerging, yeah, emerging technologies and electric vehicles at Austin Energy, our Austin utility, and he just looks like a chef. So. I'm going to try to make it my goal in the next year to get him in a full chef's outfit pretending to cook a utility stew. That would be great. Would of be course, great. though, you know, the, the big thing now, you guys, are the food trucks and pop-ups. So I, how, how are we going to do that? Are, the, are, those the, are those the disruptors that are the food trucks and the pop-ups? I don't know. Because the, if the utility is the chef, then who are the, who are the you know, you've got these innovative uh, food trucks, right? I mean, that's all the craze now, right? Go to a food truck and then you follow them on social media and they tell you where they're going to be and everybody goes there, you know, for lunch and they line up and queue up, right, because they've got the greatest, uh, uh, you know, tacos or they've got the greatest uh, 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 types of sandwiches or whatever, right? And so um, who, would be the food, who would be the food trucks and the pop-up chefs? Would, would that be the grid edge innovation companies, I wonder? Maybe the small, maybe the small startups. Yeah, I could see the the utilities being the chefs at you know your your classic steakhouse or or something like that, and then and then and then you know I mean these other technology companies and 
and startups, you know, I mean, they're taking a different approach and, and, you know, maybe creating a different kind of stew. So um, it's, it's how, yeah, I mean, who's, who's creating it and how they're creating it. Maybe the food truck pop-ups, right? Where they just pop up and they're like, wow. And then they've got this following of people that follow them via social media. Yeah. That does it. No more podcasts before lunch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much, Lorraine, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, yeah. It was nice meeting everybody um, by phone again, and um, hope to see you in person at you know either the next ETS conference or maybe at another uh, you know thought leadership conference. So you you are you are coming to ETS eighteen. We'll see you there. I think so. Perfect. So that'll do it for us at Z Prime on the Grid. For more information on our research and content, you can visit etsinsights.com. There's still time to register for ETS eighteen at ETS18, that's ETS18.co. We're going to have our startup competition start at ETS uh, coming up Wednesday, October 25th in Austin. You can find out more information about that somewhere. You can just, just have them what? go to Eventbrite. What is Eventbrite? It's that event registration <laughs> platform we use oh. for literally everything. <laughs> That everyone uses if they're, like, organizing an event. <laughs> yeah. They use Eventbrite. It's orange. Dylan, okay. Dylan's I see learning it. so fast. He's growing up I see so quickly. It. He's <laughs> growing up right before our eyes. <laughs> if you want to learn more, you can find the event page on Eventbrite. Just look for Start at ETS. So I, I would like to thank I'd like to thank my good friends, uh, Christine and Aaron, for joining me today. Yeah, Dylan. Thanks, um for doing this on a Friday afternoon, I did want to add in one thing. Um, you know, we have our website, our ETS website, we have our Z Prime website, but, you know, everyone listening, feel free to engage with, you know, Christine, Dylan, and I on LinkedIn, Twitter. We actually also have an Instagram that we want to interact with y'all to get people on my Carl Popham utility stew chef train. So if you're interested in seeing Carl in a chef's outfit, please let me know. Okay, you need to start hosting these. That was a much better outro. (laughs) Dang. And Christine, thank you as well. Do do I get to say something to to say goodbye? No. All right, we'll see you all next week. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Man. Uh, Now I completely forgot. I had something really funny I was going to say, and now I forgot. Uh Uh-huh, Christine. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, well, thanks a lot, Dylan. Um, it was it was great to be on the podcast. I'm I'm glad that Aaron Aaron survived another podcast without getting fired. Um, okay. I feel like every podcast episode is going to be like some episode of of Survivor. Um, I do know that Carl Popham will be at Start at ETS, uh, so we may we may have to see if we can corral him there um, and get some sort of cauldron. It'll be right before Halloween, so. Um, Maybe you can have him make up some utilities to there. Thank you all for listening. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.